to Acts chapter 4. We're going to be in a couple of different passages today. Actually, we're going to be in the same passage, but reading two different sections is the better way to put it. And a continuation of where we've been uh, the past three times that I've had the opportunity to share the word with you. I have to confess today that I'm going to be forced to use some sports analogies. I'm sorry. There was something in seminary that they really beat into our heads in our preaching classes, and that was, if you use sports analogies, you will automatically lose half of your congregation right away. Listen, don't get lost this morning, okay? I I, I was thinking of other analogies I could use, and the sports analogies that I'm going to use, they just fit, and you're going to have to go there with me, and thank you in advance for not zoning out if you're not into sports. My seventh grade football team was perhaps the worst football team to ever take the field. And that's hard to say because we live in Northeast Ohio and we've seen some awful football teams take the field in the orange and brown. But anyhow, my seventh grade team was awful. We were so bad that we did not score a touchdown until the second to last game of our season. That's how bad we were. We got pummeled, we got beat up, we got beat down over and over and over again. And there was a phenomenon that I'd like to share with you today that began to happen about three games into the season. Once we got down, oh, I don't know, 35 to 0, which happened weekly, all of a sudden, I, I mean this, this is not hyperbole, it happened weekly, all of a sudden, people started getting injured all over the place. Coach, I sprained my ankle. Coach, I broke a finger. Coach, my back is killing me. Coach, I've got a stinger. And all of a sudden, the entire starting lineup would be out of the football field somewhere in the third quarter. It was incredible to see how each and every week when we got down by a certain score, everybody got injured at the same time. Is anybody following me? All of a sudden, (laughs) we did not want to be on the field any longer because we were getting beat up so bad. It got so bad that folks were leaving the field that my coaches were going crazy about it. And one day in practice, our quarterback got hit without anybody blocking the oncoming rusher and was laying down on the field. And my coach screamed, Chucky, if your legs aren't broken, stand up. So Chucky stood up. Poor Chucky had a compound fracture of the upper arm. I'd never seen anything just hanging like that as he walked to the sideline. So after Chucky went to the hospital, Coach sat us down. And he said, listen, guys. He said, I understand that this is a miserable season. I understand that you're tired of getting pummeled. Things are really tough right now. But I need you to stay on the field. A lot of the stuff you're coming off with in terms of injuries, they're not that bad, and this is football. So I'm going to need you to stay on the field, I'm going to need you to toughen up, and I'm going to need you to stay out there, and I only want you coming off the field if you're really injured. And it was after that speech that we scored a touchdown in the next game. We still lost by about 35 to 42 points, but we scored a touchdown, and we learned that we were going to stay on the field even when we were taking our lumps. And today I'd like to talk to you as we talk about the Father's promise again. I want to talk to us today about staying on the field of play even when taking our lumps. That we don't need to be coming out of the game for 
a little sprained ankle that's really not that bad, or coming out of the game because we got bruised, or maybe even worse, coming out of the game because, as we often found in seventh grade football, our ego was hurt worse than our bodies. I want to talk about staying on the field today, and I want to share with you a really human story from the early church that will help us learn about staying on the field. We're going to be in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Acts, so I've got to give you a little bit of the backstory before we dive in. And I didn't want to have to read about 60 verses today, so I have to give you the backstory and then we'll dive in. The early church, as we'd seen in the day of Pentecost, had grown exponentially. They'd been filled by the Holy Spirit, and they could not help but preach the word about Christ's death and resurrection on behalf of all of humanity. The church was growing rapidly. And regularly, the disciples who had been with Jesus would go into the temple, and they would pray, but they would also sometimes share about what Jesus had done. On the particular day that we're going to be reading about, Peter and John were making their way into the temple at the time of prayer, and a man who had been lame since birth was sitting at the temple gate begging for alms. They didn't have any money to give the man that day, but as the story tells us, instead of money, they gave him something much better. They prayed over him and said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And he did. So as they went into the temple to pray, the man followed them, and it says he was walking and leaping and praising God. In essence, everybody saw that the man who had been lame, sitting at that gate day after day after day, was healed, and he was giving the credit to these men who were praying. And a crowd gathers in the temple that day, and Peter begins to preach about Jesus. It was a miracle that was followed by the proclamation of who Jesus was. We're going to pick up the story directly after Peter preaches, and we're going to begin to see the opposition that the early church faced and what they did about it. Chapter 4 of Acts, verse 1. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to them. They were very much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day because it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and now the Christians numbered about 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem, and when Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family, when they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? They're referring to the healing of this man. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick and ask how this man's been healed, well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel. This man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, and it has become the cornerstone. There is salvation found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, and they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. We'll stop there and skip down in a few minutes. What an amazing moment. How many of you have heard a sermon on this particular passage preached before? How many of you? 
right? This is a very famous passage. This is one where people speak to the power of the Holy Spirit in the midst of people's circumstances. It's amazing that Peter and John, these uneducated fellows as as the Sanhedrin, or not the Sanhedrin, but the high priests and the scribes call them, uh, are, are proclaiming Jesus in this way. And we usually use this to talk about Christians having the ability to to be bold and be strong. And certainly this is a great passage to do that. In fact, I probably preached from this passage two or three times during my tenure here at Victory Life. It's incredible that Peter stands up to these people because these were the exact same people who had secured the death of Jesus. Think about that for just a moment. I mean, just weeks or months earlier, these same people had dragged Peter's master before them and secured his, his grisly crucifixion. So that, that's, that's incredible right there, that Peter doesn't shrink back. In fact, the last time that Peter had seen someone dragged before this group, he, he had denied Christ three times because he didn't want to be dragged before them as well. So if we were just doing a character study of the strength of spirit that Peter had because of the Holy Spirit filling him, uh, we could stop right there, but that's not going to be the focus of our sermon this morning. I do want to mention before we read on that in this moment, it's important to note that it says Peter was full of the Holy Spirit before he spoke. That's the difference between that, that day and the day previous when Peter had been denying Jesus. His knees were strengthened, if you will. His legs were strengthened by means of the Holy Spirit. This, this was the Holy Spirit speaking through Peter. This wasn't Peter just going on in his own strength. The Bible wants to make that very clear. I mean, this is sort of a terrifying moment for these guys. I mean, I've never had to spend the night in prison, but these guys did. You can imagine the fear and anxiety that, that, that is possible for these guys uh, being put in prison and having to sweat it out an entire night, not knowing if the morning would find them stoned or even, even worse, I, I don't know what's worse, stoning or crucifixion, or even worse, handed over to the Roman government as people fomenting sedition. I mean, that must have been a scary, scary night for these guys. Now you say, well, maybe they were so strengthened in the Holy Spirit that they had absolutely no fear. I suppose that's possible. I just don't think it's probable. There's been a lot of times probably in my life where I know that the outcome's going to be really wonderful, but I'm still scared of the possibilities ahead of me. How many of you ever have been to a birthing or Lamaze class? Yeah, that does a lot to alleviate your fears, doesn't it? I mean, you leave that class going, ha, that's what's going to happen? I loved it. We sat there down in Fairlawn, I remember, before our first child. and We're sitting there, and, and they, keep, they keep giving us all these nightmare scenarios. And then, then, they, then they look at us and go, but no matter what happens, just keep reminding yourself that everything's normal. You know? Like being in the worst pain that you've ever seen and having this grisly thing happen to your body is normal, but it is. I imagine that for the disciples that night sitting in that prison that there was a fear, at least on some level, They would have known that what was happening to them was normal, and I'll explain that in a minute. But just because something's normal doesn't mean that you don't dread it or get nervous about it. And let me tell you why they knew it was normal. This is going to come up on the screen. Don't turn there because we're going to come right back and be an axe. But Luke 12, 11, this is what Jesus says to his disciples long before the day that they ever stood before these priests. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authority... Authorities, do not worry about how you are to defend yourselves 
or what you are to say. Verse 12, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what you ought to say. I'm going to repeat that for you. I don't know if it was up on the screen. Verse 12, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what you ought to say. Isn't that cool? I mean, long before Peter and John ever stood before these folks, Jesus had said, you're going to stand before these folks. And when you do, rely on the Holy Spirit to speak through you. Pretty cool moment. But that doesn't mean it was without fear or without anxiety. And they had to speak up that day. Because what the Holy Spirit does when he strengthens, strengthens the knees of believers is to put them in a position where they're going to glorify the name of Christ. I want us to remember that because there's a lot of different reasons that you'll hear in a lot of different churches about why you need the Holy Spirit to be active in your life. But more than anything else, I want, I want you to hear this and I want you to know this. And when you read the New Testament, you'll see that it's true. When the Holy Spirit comes into the lives of believers and begins to be an active participant in their lives, their lives begin to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. And that's the primary function of the Holy Spirit in your life. Did you hear that? That's the primary function of the Holy Spirit in your life, is to make sure that your life is glorifying Christ both by word and by deed. I want to make one more note before we continue to, continue to move forward. Yes, they're uneducated, they're unordinary men, but isn't it neat that they're quoting scripture to the priests? I mean, that's pretty cool. And the priests recognize that and go, oh, they must have been companions of Jesus. Think about that for just a minute. So uneducated and ordinary men, but the fact that they're uneducated and ordinary, yet they speak with such authority on the scriptures, they recognize that they were companions of Jesus. Follow that trail for just a moment. Because you may feel very uneducated or ordinary today, but when you have the word of God as something, as part of your toolkit, you always have the ability to do the work that God has you to do. And Jesus made sure that his disciples knew the scriptures and knew the word. He made sure that his disciples were versed in the verses that they would need to know to expand the kingdom of God and to build his church. So what happened to these guys? Well, there was nothing that the priests could do to them. The crowds had seen the miracle, so if they were to have uh, done violence upon these men, they were afraid they were going to have a riot because the crowds had seen this miraculous miracle done by Peter and John. They had to let them go, but before they did, they looked at Peter and John and they said, Stop it! Don't speak in this name anymore! And they threatened them. doesn't say what their threats were, but you can only imagine. Don't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. Now get out of here. And they leave. What I want to focus the rest of our time together on is what takes place next. Not as often preached about in our churches, but I think it's very important because it shows the humanity of the heroes of the Bible. Their humanity shines through. And I want to remind you when you read the scriptures, you should be reading them with an eye towards that these heroes are real people. It's why all the, all the heroes of the Bible, we get to see their fears. Many of them, we get to see their sin. Many of them, we get to see scared. Many of them, we get to see when they lash out and do something stupid. So the Bible is a wonderful book that shows us the humanity of folks and then how God redeems situations when they have the opportunity to make a mess out of it. Will you skip down with me to verse 23, and we'll see what happens after Peter and John are released. After they were released, they went to their friends. And they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. What are the chief priests and elders said? Stop it. Stop it. When they had heard it, they raised their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and everything in them, it is you who said by the Holy Spirit through David your servant, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples of the earth imagine vain things? 
The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For it was in this city, in fact, that both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So now, Lord, look at their threats. And grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now that's a really interesting piece, isn't it? That they went home, and they weren't exulting, you know? No one looks at Peter and John and goes, way to stand up to the authorities. No one was really excited about this. What did it do in the church? It awakened their fears. It awakened their collective memory of the crucifixion of Jesus. And it made them concerned that they were going to be rallied against. Look at who they implicate in the death of Christ for a moment. Verse 27, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel, all gathered against Jesus. That's about everybody. That's everybody. The Jewish ruler, the Gentile ruler, the Gentile military, and the people of Israel who are here in Jerusalem, they're all against Jesus. That's what they're facing. So they're reacting to the present threat. The leadership of our nation, the ones who are both priests but also government officials, they're threatening us and telling us to stop spreading the name of Jesus. This is getting dangerous for us, so we need to pray to God to bring good out of this situation. And in the midst of their prayer, their collective memory remembers what had just happened to the Lord, the violence that had been done upon their leader. But what's so neat about these people that in the midst of their concern is the truth and the light of what Jesus has called them to do and the strength and power that the Holy Spirit is going to imbue them with in order that they might accomplish all that God's called them to. So in the midst of their worry and their fear and the collective memory of the violence done upon Jesus, they still are grounded in the truth. And here are some truths that they bring up in this passage. First, God's still on the throne. Look at verse 24. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sun and everything in them. I mean, talk about that. Just stop there for just a minute. God, you're the boss. You're in charge. So we know that whatever we face, it's going to be okay because you are the boss. It goes further. It's you who said by the Holy Spirit in verse 25, through your ancestor David, why do the Gentiles rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers have gathered against the Lord and against his Messiah. What are they saying? Not only is God still on the throne, but once again, God predicted that this would happen. Isn't that neat? God makes it clear to his disciples, yeah, you are going to face this. And when David spoke this psalm, it is a reminder that just because the Messiah is the anointed one and he's come from God doesn't mean that everybody's going to welcome him with open arms. Opposition is going to come. Things are going to get tough. So not only did the sovereign Lord put us in a position where things would get tough, he predicted that it would happen so that we would know that we're right in his will when it does happen. 
And in the midst of this, they recognize Christ is still worth serving. They don't scatter at this moment. They don't decide, you know what, it might be good right now to get out of Jerusalem. We need to, we need to head out. Instead, what do they do? They appeal to the promise of the Father. They appeal to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we're beginning to take some lumps here. Would you fill us with all boldness so we can continue to proclaim the message of Christ? That's a very grounded thing to do. God, one version says, this says look at their threats here in the NRSV. One version of the Bible says God, consider their threats. In other words, we certainly are. We're considering their threats. We, we know that this could get bad. This could get ugly real quick. I mean, Peter and John got out this time, but these folks are threatening us, and we have a feeling that they're not going to like it if we continue to talk about Jesus. So consider their threats, Lord, and in the midst of considering them, now give us boldness that we can continue to speak the word about Christ. So isn't that cool? Yeah, they had fear. Yeah, they were concerned. Yeah, they, they couldn't forget what had been done to Jesus. They were human. They were human, and in the midst of that, they were so grounded in what God wanted them to do and the power that the Holy Spirit had to impact their lives. They said, okay, Holy Spirit, grant us boldness so that we can continue to do what you've called us to do in spite of the lumps we're taking, in spite of the fear that we presently have. There's just so much we can learn from this story. It's really, really neat what took place here. Yes, we can be exultant in the fact that the Holy Spirit gave Peter and John the power to stand up to the priests that day and to continue to proclaim the name of Jesus in their presence. But we also should take note of what this did to the collective group of the disciples of Jesus now, this huge group of Christians that is living together and working together to proclaim the name of Christian or, or proclaim the name of Christ. It, it, it got them a little rattled. And then they did the most grounded thing possible. They did the most important thing that they could have done. They prayed. They prayed. And they prayed specifically that the Holy Spirit would give them boldness to continue to proclaim the message in spite of the lumps that they were taking or the lumps that they were being threatened with now by the Jewish ruling class. And this all has to do with who they were and what they've been called to. And that's why this connects to last week, and that's why it's a, ne- a good natural progression for us to see in the scriptures. These people had received the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's promise had come upon them that God was now going to dwell with them and direct their steps. They didn't want to give that up. They didn't want to come off the field because they were now being threatened and taking some lumps. Instead, they said, God, strengthen us so that we might redouble your efforts because what has happened to us by this filling of the Holy Spirit makes us want to glorify Christ more than anything else in the world. So, yes, we've considered their threats. Lord, you consider their threats. Now make us bold so that we can continue the work that you've given us to do because there's nothing better than serving Christ when filled with his Holy Spirit. Nothing better than accomplishing the will of God and expanding the kingdom of heaven. Nothing better. They tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord, and they were not going to turn back now. They prayed and they asked for the Holy Spirit to give them what they lack now. They didn't lack a mission. They didn't lack fervor. But they did have a little fear, so they lacked a little boldness. And that's what they asked for. When God's people are filled with the Holy Spirit, when God's people operate at the Holy Spirit's behest, we have to recognize that opposition is likely going to come. It's likely going to come. Because the Holy Spirit wants to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. 
The Holy Spirit wants to see lives changed because people agree to the lordship of Christ Jesus, give their lives to him. And this earth, the rulers of this earth, this, the enemy, whatever you want to call the forces of evil, they don't want to see that happen. They like what they got going. And the name of Jesus can mess some things up for a lot of people who like their power and like their strength and like the the might of their own hand and like the broken, corrupt system that this world gives to everybody. So there's going to be opposition to folks who are filled with the Holy Spirit because folks who are filled with the Holy Spirit are going to want to bring glory to the name of Christ and see people come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And for some, that's an offensive message, and for some, that's a threatening message, and for some, that's a message they just don't want to hear. But that doesn't mean that because we begin to take our lumps that we stop, it just means that we redouble our effort. What I want to encourage you, and it's the reason I brought up the sports analogy to begin with this morning, is that for you who are beginning to seek the Holy Spirit, for those of you who maybe came to the altar last week, or you you were sitting in your seats asking, Father, begin to fill me with your Holy Spirit, that means that there's going to be times in your week and in your month that you're going you're gonna to proclaim the name of Jesus. You're going to say things about Christ and his effect that he could have in people's lives to change them and make them new. You're going to begin to bring glory to the name of Christ by your words and, and what you share with people. And when you do that, opposition is going to come. And we can see from the early Christians here what they did in that moment was not to head to the sidelines and say, you know what, I began to take some lumps I got made fun of at work a little bit, so I'm going to go stand on the sidelines and let somebody else get into the game. Or perhaps somebody comes at you with an aggressive tone, and they're really not happy with what you said to them. I'm going to stand on the sidelines now. I'm not going to say anything more about my faith or what Christ has done for me. I'll let somebody else get into the game. I mean, for as many people as have proclaimed the name of Christ, there is probably an equal number of people who have somehow been negatively affected because they proclaim the name of Christ. Because you begin to take lumps when you stand up for Jesus. People don't like that. People come into your life, and, or you come into their lives with this kind of message, and the opposition smacks you right in the face. And many times after you've taken a few lumps, you just step back, and you head to the sidelines, you claim you got a bad knee, and you want somebody else to go into the game for you. Why do I bring this message to you today? Well, because it's it's not a good enough reason to head to the sidelines. Whatever you've faced and whatever's been tough and whatever made somebody uncomfortable, whatever made you uncomfortable, whatever got you made fun of, whatever got somebody angry with you, it's not enough to head to the sidelines. The injury's not bad enough. Because the Holy Spirit wants to come in and he wants to be your sword and he wants to be your shield. He wants to be your protection and he wants to be your strength. And he wants you to stay in the game and continue to talk about Jesus. Continue to proclaim the name of Jesus when you get the opportunity. Continue to talk about what Jesus did in your life in spite of their threats. In spite of the opposition. In spite of the fact that people aren't always going to like it. Now am I asking you to go out and offend just the crud out of anybody you walk uh, no, no, that's stupid. We take measured steps when we share Christ. You know why Peter was preaching that day? Because he was forced to. Did, did you read that? He was forced to. It said they physically manhandled him. That's what it says. Go back and read it. Not right now, but later. They physically made him stand in their presence. 
How did you do this? Okay. What did he say? Well, if I'm going to be called into account for healing a lame man, let me tell you the truth. He didn't bust down the doors of the priest's chambers to preach that day, did he? Who would? And I want to tell you, if you've got to bust down doors to share about Jesus, you might want to take a step back for just a moment. Because the Holy Spirit, when you submit to him and ask him to give you opportunity, he'll give you opportunity. If you're busting down doors, you could be doing damage. So hear that from me today. I, don't, I, 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 as one of your pastors here, I don't want you trying to bust down doors and bust up people to talk about Jesus. That's not healthy. What is healthy is that as you have opportunity and as hearts are open, that you begin to talk about what Jesus has done in your life. And that has a redemptive and a saving power if inspired by the Holy Spirit. The problem for so many of us is that we've headed to the sidelines already. We took a few lumps and we, we have decided that we're no longer going to speak in this name. The very thing that the priests tell Peter and John not to do anymore. Don't speak in this name anymore. We've decided that we can no longer say Jesus. We can no longer talk about our Savior We've taken a few lumps. It's gotten a little rough. And I want to tell you that there's a simple remedy to that. And that simple remedy is prayer. If you want to get back in the game because you realize you've stepped to the sidelines because things got tough a while back, the natural remedy is prayer. Asking the Holy Spirit to continue to fill you and to use you the way God would want to fill you and want to use you. Because the name of Jesus is to be proclaimed to every nation, tribe, and tongue before he returns. And there's a few nations, tribes, and tongues on your street right now. There are people who need to hear the message about what Jesus can do in their lives if you'd only give them the opportunity. The problem is that so many of us have gone to the sidelines. We don't want to get into the game anymore. We'd rather strategize in the huddle and then send anybody else out to the field. Let's talk about how we can beat this defense. I'm going to stay over here while you guys do it. Or I'm just going to win them by my lifestyle. Lord Jesus, I pray that people would come to know you as I'm watering my grass today. May they see how much I love you as I water the petunias. Lord Jesus, bring them to you as I use my pooper scooper. Woo them by your spirit to my lifestyle evangelism. And we've become so scared of getting on the field and just speaking about our Savior. But I tell you, the Holy Spirit has this cool thing that he likes to do. When hearts are submitted to him and when hearts seek him, he likes to make it a lot more natural and easy for us to glorify Christ. A lot more easy. Because the Holy Spirit's primary function is to help human brain, beings bring glory to the name of Jesus. That's what he wants to do. And he wants to use you to do it. I want to sort of close this morning with one more point, okay? I don't want AJ to come yet because it's going to take just a few minutes to unpack. I just want to close with one more point. How many people preached in front of the priests? In this story, 
Give me the number with a finger or two. Don't say two, just use one. How many people? One. One. How many people did the Holy Spirit want preaching before the priest that day then? Is it possible that as you submit to the Holy Spirit and ask him to use your life to glorify Christ, he's going to use you differently than he's going to use the person that sits next to you in the seat right now? Is it possible? Is it possible? Because I tell you what we often do is we paint with really wide brush strokes when we talk about bringing glory to the name of Jesus. And we do a one-size-fits-all mentality. And I want to tell you, I have enough trust and faith in the Holy Spirit that if you ask him to fill you up and use you to bring glory to the name of your Savior, he's going to tell you how to do it in a way that makes sense for you. Some of you are not public speakers it would not make sense for you to stop an entire lunch table and give your testimony because you're not a public speaker. But I will tell you this. If you want a practical way to get off the sidelines and back into the game, there's one other thing to, to recognize about this story. One is that these people were always praying because they realized that they couldn't do it in their own strength. They couldn't Fulfill the mission that God had given them in their own strength. They needed the Holy Spirit to do it through them. But I want us to notice one more thing. Even for those who weren't public speakers, these folks did know the word of God. Both parts of the story, they quote the scriptures. That's an important thing to notice. Because there is power in the word of God that he's given us as we proclaim about Jesus. God didn't give 2,000 years of prophecy so that we could ignore it when trying to explain who Jesus is and what he's done. God didn't give us so many beautiful verses about the redemptive power of Christ in the book of Romans so that we could ignore them and try to share about what Jesus did without them. I want to just make note today that when Peter stood before the priests, he quoted the word of God. And when these people prayed for boldness, they quoted the word of God because it was a boon to them. It was a support to them. It reminded them that they were doing exactly what God had called them to do. And I want to tell you, if you think that you're going to make an impact for God's kingdom without prayer and without regular study of the word, it's like trying to hit a baseball without ever hitting the batting cages. Because the world's throwing fastballs. And if you're not in practice, you're going to whiff. Sorry, that was the second sports analogy. That's it. Why do we as Christians think that we're somehow going to make an impact for God without ever putting into practice the disciplines that will allow us to make an impact for God? I'm not trying to come down on you this morning, but I am trying to be real. Isn't this real? We don't know the scriptures and we don't pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us and use us, and therefore we become ineffectual in our mission to proclaim Christ and see people 
one to his side. That's, that's the thing. We don't practice. We don't get in the cage. We don't do the very simple things that God has given us to do to prepare to change the world. Jesus spent three years with his disciples, preparing them and helping them to learn the scriptures and the teachings that would change the world forever. I encourage you today, not only to become a person who prays and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and use you and bring a passion about sharing Jesus into the lives of the people that you encounter, but I encourage you too to get into the Word of God on a greater level than you are today because it will be a boon to you. It will remind you of exactly what's true and what's right and why you're doing what you're doing. Everybody has a different position to play in this, and I understand that. Not everybody is going to go preach to the lunch table or preach a sermon. Everybody's going to have a different way that God directs them and leads them and guides them. Peter was not looking to preach in front of the priests that day, but it happened because he was in prayer and in the word and doing the things that God had called him to do. And that's what I believe God can do in every, every every one of our lives that if we're in prayer and in his word he can use us to do the mission that god's put us on this earth to do which is to expand the kingdom of god and bring glory to the name of jesus christ everyone do you remember i had you say something for me last week the holy spirit is going to be poured out on all flesh all flesh that's your flesh my flesh their flesh all of us have work to do in speaking for God to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I hope you're going to be encouraged today when you leave this place. Because if it was rocket science, none of us would do it. But we have a place in God's kingdom as ordinary and uneducated people to do incredible things for eternity. Don't let that chance slip by. Don't let that chance slip by. Get back in the game. Be ready to take a few lumps and let the Holy Spirit begin to use you again. Would you bow your head and pray with me? Holy Spirit, I trust that you have a unique message for so many in this room today. Something, Holy Spirit, that you want to speak into the hearts of individuals in this place. God, I, I, I pray that what is resounding in hearts in this moment is not, I need to go preach to somebody to be a good Christian. I pray that is not it. I pray that what is resounding in our hearts this morning from what we've read and heard is I need to allow God to fill me up and I need to ask him to make me the person that he's created me to be. I pray that is what will be heard in our heart as well as through our ears. And Lord, I pray also for those in here today who once had a passion, a 
passion to share about their Lord, but who over time took some lumps, got beat up a little bit, maybe fear took over, or complacency, maybe a not worth it mentality came into being, or a let somebody else get on the field, I'm going to get off for a while. I pray for that today, if that spirit resides in anyone here. Holy Spirit, help us to seek your face. And we'll trust you to give us the pep talk to get back into the game. We'll we'll trust you to heal the wounds that we've once taken. Because, Lord, you want to pour out your spirit on all flesh that we might speak for you and do work for eternity. I'm just going to invite you right now, if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and saying, in some way, seek me today. Seek me today. Would you just come to this altar right now, right in this moment, to bow your knees before the Lord and say, I will seek you. I will seek you. I will seek you. Holy Spirit, I'm ready to get back in the game. I've taken my lumps. I'm ready to get back in the game. This altar's open. Respond to him right now. Don't leave this place today going, interesting sermon, Pastor Matt. I'll have to think on that. Say, Holy Spirit, I want to be used by you. most important thing you can do today is if you hear his voice to respond to it. It's a natural response to say, God, I'm moving towards you. I need to pray. I invite you, come to this altar. Come to this altar. Pray to him. Say, Holy Spirit, I've been on the sidelines. Or, Holy Spirit, I only choose to be in the game part of the time, but I I want to seek you. I want you to use me. The band's going to play. And I just invite you, if the Holy Spirit's speaking in your heart, you pray. You ask God to touch you, touch your heart. And if you want to stand and sing as the band plays, that's great. But I just invite you, just for a few minutes, to make this a time of prayer allow the Holy Spirit to fill you up and set you off on the course that you're to be on. We are well short of some arbitrary time that we need to stop today. I think the most important thing we can do is to make this place a house of prayer just for a few minutes. So keep those heads bowed, keep those eyes closed, unless you want to come pray in this altar and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, move in you, fill you up the way that he desires to.